0: I would like to extend a, a greeting to our guests this morning and encourage you that on your bulletin there's a tear-off. Just fill that out and put it on the, in the box as you leave, the offering box, and we'd love to stay in contact with you. Uh, we're glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 16 or 15. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We're hoping to finish Romans 15 this morning, and we're almost finished with our verse-by-verse study through the book of Romans. Uh, a few weeks ago, as mentioned, I only had six weeks left, and I think i 'm going to make that um, that time frame so uh, we 're going to be looking at the end of verse fifteen or chapter fifteen and, and this passage, this last part of Romans fifteen is really paul 's personal um, autobiography of his ministry he 's writing what what his passion is in his heart what drives him as he serves the lord and, and we 're kind of brought into Uh, those moments where we're called to consider not only Paul's passion, but really what it would mean for us if if we would allow God to use us like he used Paul. And, And you might have said, as we looked at this last week, looking at some of these characteristics, like, well, I'm not an apostle, or I'm not someone like Paul. I don't have the ability to just pick up and move around the world and all those things. But I would say to you, if you love Jesus, that God wants to use you for his kingdom, it might be in a smaller geographical region. But it might mean for some of you that God is going to pick you up and move you somewhere where you never thought you would be. And that's scary, right? I mean, it's not in our plans often to just move somewhere we've never been and minister to people that we don't know. But maybe God would do that. But I would say for the the majority of us as we look at this passage, my prayer has been that you can look into Paul's life and and begin to see some of the things that made his ministry successful and and just ask yourself, God, if, if I'm going to serve you with joy and honor, help me to develop and see some of these characteristics in my own life. I began last week by asking you the question who is a minister, or what comes to mind when you hear the word ministry. And, and, and we want to build on that this morning, because we are all ministers. All of us are called by God to serve. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter is not writing that to Jewish people. He's writing that to the church. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people of God's own possession. And I would just say to you, That as a result of what God has done for you through Jesus Christ, He not only gives you purpose for what He wants you to do, but He empowers you to do that very thing. He calls you, and then He equips you. And some of this now is up to us to rest and trust in Him as we believe by faith. Have you ever had a dream? for God to use you for something greater than what you're doing now? And I'm not talking about like a dream, like you fell asleep and you had this dream. I'm talking about, have you ever had those moments and seasons in life where you feel like God is speaking to you, talking to you, calling you to something greater? And it might be something like revival in your home it might be just to be more faithful to serve him in your workplace it might be to just take that step of faith and say okay god i'm I'm gonna trust you as i serve you in this area but you're you're believing you're you're believing that god wants to use you but you're you're kind of thinking beyond what you can see with your eyes see what happens in life Is sometimes we have the dreams, but we settle for far less. Life gets in the way. Our lives get in the way. And we need to to be able to process God's work in our hearts through the lens of what He says so that we can begin to see the potential that He's created us to have. I firmly believe, just looking at all of you in Christ, that, there, that we have, just in this room, the potential to turn this community upside down. That by God's grace, with His help, we can make a difference in ways that we never thought were possible. When we look at our lives through that lens, uh, I, I was reading this book um, by John Piper called Don't Waste Your Life. And and in this book, Don't Waste Your Life, and I encourage you to read it yourself. Uh, John Piper shares these uh, two scenarios as a a compare and contrast, and and he says this. um, He shares this one story. It's about two women who were over the age of 80, uh, and they had given their lives to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached people of Cameroon. In April 2000... They were driving down the road, and their brakes failed in their car, and their car went over a cliff, and both of them perished. They were killed instantly. And John Piper asks rhetorically, "Was that a tragedy?" Well, he goes on to answer, and he says, "No, that is not a tragedy. That is glory." These lives were not wasted. And these lives were not lost. And then he quotes Mark 8:35, "Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it." And then he shares the second story. He quotes from a February 1998 Reader's Digest, and it told of a couple who took early retirement when they were 59. They moved to Florida. They cruised on their boat, they played softball, and collected shells. And at first, John Piper thought that the story was a spoof on the American dream, but then he realized that this is the dream. Come to the end of your life, your only precious God-given life, and let the last great thing be known about you before your creator is playing softball and collecting shells. And that, John Piper says, is a tragedy. Do you see the difference? Now, I'm not saying if you're retired and you just made it to retirement age that, hey, you're in this dangerous place. What I'm saying is for all of us, what are we dreaming for? What are we hoping God for? What are we believing in where God has us? Do we see the moments that we have as mundane moments, or do we see them as supernatural opportunities? Because if life gets in the way, if our personal dreams get in the way, the opportunity that God has to use us is diminished. And as we look at Paul's life, this man who his life was radically transformed, we see a man who was sold out for the gospel. And he was willing to go wherever God sent him. And he was aware that even as he went wherever God sent him, there were going to be delays, there were going to be frustrations, there were going to be a change of plans, but he was going to keep trusting God. And that's what he invites us to see in these final verses in Romans 15. He says in verse 22, For this reason... I have often prevented from coming to see you or coming to you. Remember, in in Romans 1, Paul wrote in the introduction that he wanted to see these people. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to, to walk along by their side and encourage them. He had heard about their faith. He had seen the gospel through the testimony of the people that brought reports back to him. And, and so he wanted to be with these people, but he had been all around the known world and he had not yet been able to go to Rome. And so he's writing in this section that his plans are to be with them. But we see in, in verse 22, as as he was writing about often being prevented, that he's finishing the task that God has given him. We talked about that task last week, that Paul felt that his number one call in life wasn't just to see these believers on kind of like this uh, celebration tour of his ministry. His number one ministry was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And there was still work to be done. It made me think of the story that I, I read this week about a husband and wife who woke up one Sunday morning, and as the wife was getting dressed for church, it was just about time for the service to start, and she noticed that her husband hadn't moved a finger. Perplexed, she asked, why aren't you getting dressed for church? And he said, because I don't want to go. She asked, do you have any reasons? And he said, yes, I have three good reasons. First, the congregation is cold. Second, no one likes me. And third, I I just don't want to go. And the wife replied wisely, well, honey, I have three reasons why you should go. First, the congregation is warm. Second, there are more than a few people there that, who like you. And third, you're the pastor, so get up and get dressed. <laughs> so that, that'll probably be the only thing you remember, right? Yeah, I, I hope not. I hope not. Uh, What prevented Paul from visiting Rome wasn't a lack of desire or a sinful attitude or even satanic resistance. What prevented Paul was understanding that God was providentially in control of his life and it wasn't time. This word prevented that Paul uses in verse 22 literally means to cut into or cut out. It was used to describe the deep trenches that were sometimes dug across the road to impede an enemy army. It came to be used metaphorically of a hindrance or an impediment. Now Paul writes about this hindrance in the imperfect tense. And that means it was continually. It was always happening. As Paul wanted to go to Rome, something else always seemed to come up. And it was also written in the passive, meaning that they were outside forces. Like it wasn't Paul's plans that were changing. It was everything that was kind of getting in the way, always kind of moving him and shifting him into a different direction. What prevented him from visiting Rome was his desire to effectively preach Christ to the Gentile people. Paul was set out on finishing the job that he began to preach that Jesus Christ is the hope of all men. In verses 23 and 24, we read, But now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while." Paul has plans as he's going. He's not just dropping in for an indiscriminate amount of time. He's not vacationing or anything. He's, he's on his way somewhere else because now he's looking at the frontier, right? We, we think of the American frontier as the Wild West. Well, the Wild West in the, in the Roman world was Spain. It was as about as far as you could go, right? He wanted to go there with Christ to reach those people with the hope of the gospel, And so he's making these plans. He longed to be with these people. He had longed for many years to come. He wanted to enjoy their company. Now the gospel was spreading and God was using him to reach many people that never heard anything about Jesus. And as these believers were coming to Christ... Paul had no other place to go. The regions were hearing. Like, that's crazy to me. Not that... I mean, I just have to take a step back and think what it was like to live in that world. I mean, it's a large area, and we're in the first generation of Christians. And in that first generation, in this large area... What started with an upper room of no more than 120 people turned the world upside down with the gospel. To my mind, that's just boggling. But they trusted God with the hope of the gospel. And they were willing to go where God had called them to go. And now the gospel has found these places in these regions. And now he's wanting to stop and visit the church in Rome, but he is still going to faithfully preach the gospel in Spain. His visit would be one that he longed to enjoy. Like, we need to see that. He, he says, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. So, if he stopped right there, it would almost make it seem like Paul was going to kind of like be driving by and waving in the car saying hey good to see you or or that he's there to say hey i'm here to see you but can you give money so i can help the people that are in need in my missionary journeys no but he says something else he says in verse 24 when i first enjoyed your company for a while We talked about Paul's compassion last week, and I think sometimes that gets missed as we we study Paul's life in the epistles and in the book of Acts because we think he's this, you know, kind of black and white, you know, take no prisoner kind of attitude. You know, he he was the one that, that would disagree with with his fellow companions on the missionary journeys. He, he contested with the apostle Peter as he writes about in the book of Galatians. Like he, Paul seems to be kind of like that take no prisoner, you either agree with me or get behind me kind of person. But he's not really that kind of guy. He's focused, but as he's focused, he's focused on Christ. And as he's focused on Christ and bringing Christ to people, he doesn't just get people saved and move on. He allows people to come in contact with the gospel of grace and then he encourages them to fan that flame of faith and he wants to share his walk with them. He wants to encourage these people and visit with them and encourage them for a while. This was a a visit that he longed to enjoy. In Romans 1 verses 11 through 13, Paul wrote, For I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul desired to be with these people to encourage them in their spiritual gifts to help them grow in their faith. Paul didn't need to visit the church because it was in trouble, but he rather wanted to visit as an encouragement to them. And he also did have the purpose of wanting them to partner with him, to help him in reaching more people. When he says to be helped... This was a phrase that was customarily customarily used in the early church of furnishing an escort as well as supplies for someone like a minister or a missionary being sent out on a field. But we always need to remember that our plans are aligned with God's will. While it was Paul's strong desire to be with these people in Rome, he knew he couldn't until the work was finished where he was. So just a pause right here. If God's called you into a ministry, and maybe you feel like, God, am I effectively being used? Or sometimes we, we think the grass is greener on the other side. Maybe if I did that thing. I just want to ask you, as you're looking at Paul's life at this point, can you say, or can can you confidently say with God's help that the work is finished where He has you? I, I've seen in ministry, I've been a pastor now for over 20 years, I've seen people give up, drop out, get tired. And sometimes that's, when I say the church, I mean the organization of the church. Sometimes that's the church's fault for not encouraging, refreshing, training, reminding, coaching, right? Like churches like ours where sometimes we're in need for help and we see the need and we're like, oh, just please do it so it gets done. But we don't come alongside and and, and encourage that call for ministry. But if you're in a place where you're wondering what's next or is there something next? Or I'm just tired. I just want to encourage you as you seek God's face with wanting Him to to be glorified as you serve, ask yourself the question, is what He has called me to do finished? That's something that I think is an important question for all of us to wrestle with. Sometimes we lose our focus. We become disenchanted. Sometimes we look For something else. It took Paul a lot longer to get to Rome than he is envisioning right here. But he never gave up. In fact, we're going to see in the next few verses the very way he came to Rome. But Paul's plans were always accountable to God's will. Are your plans always accountable to God's will? Are my plans... Isn't that a scary prayer to pray? Lord, your will be done. You know, you pray for things. You ask God to show you where you need to be. And then you pray, Lord, your will be done. Verses 25 through 28. Paul communicates his heart in serving the saints. He says, "But now I am going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on my on by way of you to Spain." So here's what you need to understand. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome when he was in Corinth. Corinth is in the area of Greece on the map. Greece is just right across the Adriatic Sea from Rome. Okay, so kind of picture in your mind just a body of water between these two places where Paul wanted to be. Instead of going west, directly across the sea to Rome from Corinth, Paul is in Corinth, and says to them, before I get to you, which is a lot closer, I'm going to turn around and go all the way back to Jerusalem. Like if, if he had a... Yeah, I, I don't even think we have these anymore but like when i was a kid and we would go on vacation my mom would go to triple a and get one of those trip tickets and they would tell you okay here's your here's your path to go like here are the routes to take this is where you can stop if he had a travel itinerary person saying okay we're going to go to rome oh but by the way we're going to turn around go the other way first they would be like are you crazy but paul was concerned with what was happening in Jerusalem. And we're clued in on that in this passage. He was busy in his ministry as he was preaching the gospel and visiting the saints of also taking up a collection because there was a huge population of Jewish Christians in Jerusalem that were being persecuted for their faith. And oh, there was a famine in the area. There was desperate need. And so what did Paul do? He asked largely, predominantly Gentile churches to contribute to the needs of Jewish Christians. And he says, this is why. You share in the spiritual blessings of the Jewish people. Shouldn't you also share in your material needs for them as well? And so he says, I'm bringing a collection to them because they're in great need. And he got these Gentile believers to give for their behalf. This word contribute that Paul uses in verse 26 comes from the Greek word koinonia. And you're like, great. Well, here, here's the thing about this word koinonia. It means fellowship. That's the New Testament term for fellowship. Paul was using this famine as an opportunity for fellowship between groups of people that were often, it seemed, far off, not just by distance, but one was Jewish, one was Gentile, and, and because of the need that arose, Paul used it to build a bridge between these people that they never met. And they gave to each other. They, they, the Gentile people were able to serve their Jewish brethren in the faith Now, here's a P.S. to Paul's plans. If you read the book of Acts, chapters 21 through 28, and we did this a few years ago, Paul took this offering. He went back to Jerusalem, and he wasn't just able to drop it off and get on a boat and go back to Rome. When he returned to Jerusalem, he came under heavy opposition in Jerusalem. He was seized while teaching in the temple. He was then moved to Caesarea, which is just north of Jerusalem, and he was imprisoned there for two years. And then he departed to Rome, where he used his voice as a Roman citizen to stand before Caesar. Paul does not get to pass through Rome on his way to Spain. His plans changed. He got to Rome in chains. Under house arrest. But he got to Rome. And oh, by the way, he was faithful to where God was going to lead him. And he would spend two more years under house arrest in Rome. Do you think that was a part of Paul's plans? Nope, not at all but he trusted God and he was faithful to preach the gospel. In verse 29 Paul writes, I know that when I come to you I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Paul as a minister was not about you know walking into a room and everyone celebrating the accolades. That he was able to accomplish. Paul wasn't worried about that. Paul's ministry, his faithful ministry of preaching the gospel, was able to know that he would receive a spiritual blessing. Paul wasn't saying that he expects an abundance of physical and material blessing because of the ministry. In fact, it was the same apostle that that wrote here that he In verse 29 will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ it's the same apostle that wrote second Corinthians that he was beaten mocked people sought to kill him he was run out of town he was homeless he was hungry he was thirsty and on and on when he served when he decided to serve Jesus he understood that to take up his cross and follow Jesus it it was going to mean all sorts of trouble And the servant isn't greater than the master. And if the master was crucified, so be it for us. He didn't have this foolish understanding that if you serve God, everything is going to be great and wonderful all the time and everything's going to be perfect and people are going to celebrate you and praise your name and all the joy is going to come in and overflow and be like, hey, I have no problems. Remember, we serve in a fallen world, and there is a great enemy that is seeking to destroy what God is building up. And so, the point that Paul is making, and it's true for us, is that a life that is lived in full submission to the will of God will always be blessed by God. That's the guarantee we have the great privilege of sharing the blessing of Christ with others, not because of circumstance, but in spite of those circumstances. And God will use us as a source of great joy for others to see the glory of God. But that means that we need to understand that sometimes our plans are going to just be kind of crumpled up and thrown away. You guys have heard the, the saying before, right? Man plans and God laughs. Right, we make plans, we have all these things that we want to see accomplished, and then God comes along and says, Oh, by the way, remember I'm the sovereign one. But when you trust him, what you find is that where he takes you is far better than where you ever thought you could take yourself. And so Paul understood the blessing of ministry, the blessing of Christ. He also understands the power of prayer. In verse 30 we read, Now I urge you, brethren, by by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Now here's the thing. Paul had no idea he was going to be in prison for two years in Jerusalem and two more years in Rome. But he providentially understood that for ministry to be impactful, people need to be praying. And as he is asking people to pray, I I believe, I, I firmly believe, that it was their prayers and the prayers of others that sustained him in all of those moments where it seemed like his plans got derailed and yet he kept pushing on by the grace of God, preaching the gospel and being faithful as a minister of Jesus Christ. Paul never reached a point in his ministry where he said, okay, God, I'll take it from here. He also was sure to enlist prayer by the churches that he ministered to And we read all throughout his letters, he he entreats the, the churches to pray for him in the furtherance of the gospel. And what a great privilege they had to intercede for those who are serving and those who are being served. Now, Paul exhorts this church on the basis of their relationship with Jesus Christ and the love of the Holy Spirit that inspires them to pray. He doesn't just say to them, hey, remember me? Remember this guy? Pray for me because this is my job. He encourages them to see the grace of God and he says, as you see the grace of God, I ask you based on that grace to be faithful in praying. Warren Worsby said, our praying must not be a casual experience that has no heart or earnestness, we should put as much fervor into our praying as a wrestler does in his wrestling. Like there, there should be a grappling with spiritual things in prayer. There should be an, a desire that is just longing and imploring and crying out for God to work. There shouldn't be the, uh, just a simple list and say, okay, amen, and then move on kind of thing. It should be us begging entreating, and not wrestling so that we change God's mind, but just leaving our hearts in His presence again and again and again, praying for God's will to be done in these great things that He is doing in this world. The final thing that we see in Paul's life and ministry is in verses 31 and 32. He asks them to pray, right? That's verse 30. He asks them to strive together with Him in prayers to God. Why? That I, might, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now, just to stop right there. If that's what Paul was only hoping for, would it seem like that the prayers of the people in Rome were sufficient? Like, Paul didn't get that exactly. He went to Jerusalem and he found the Judeans to be disobedient to the message of the gospel. They imprisoned him for that. But it's not like he walked into Rome on his own accord and said, wow, this is a great and wonderful city. Let's go on a tour. Let me see the Colosseum and all the wonderful um, tourist uh, places to go. No, he got to Rome in chains. It was imprisoned. And yet, oh, by the way, he was refreshed under house arrest he was fine with that. In fact, when he wrote the letter to the church in Philippi, he was so on fire for the gospel, he, ter- he told the church in Philippi that he had a captive audience with Caesar's guard because they were chained to him, and he was preaching the gospel to them. Like, he, he was not confused about where he was and what God wanted to do, and he wasn't limited to the circumstances, saying, I'm only an apostle when my schedule permits. No matter what happened, he was faithful to preach Christ. In Acts 21, verses 10 through 14, we read this. After we had been there a number of days, and this is Luke writing with, or about Paul's experience. He's the writer of Acts After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his his own hands and feet with it, and said, He, the Holy Spirit, says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to, be, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Paul's like, hey, I'm going. And it doesn't matter what happens. If it means my life, I will count it a privilege to die for Jesus Christ. But no matter what, the Lord's will be done. And so Paul went and he faced the dangers. Listen, if you're serving Jesus Christ, no matter what you are doing, you will face opposition. Satan hates the fact that you're bringing glory to God. You will have trouble. I don't share that to scare you because here I am as a pastor encouraging you to understand the gifts that God has given you and inspire you to service for God and His glory. But I want you to understand that it's not always easy, it's often difficult. But there is joy in the difficulty, there's great joy. Because what we experience here is just momentary. And we have to understand that God sees us in the difficulty. And He ministers to us in the difficulty. It's often in the darkest moments that we hear His voice the clearest. And see the light that He provides. And so I want to encourage you that if you're in a season right now serving Jesus where it just seems like it's overwhelming, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't look for something else because it might just be the place where God wants you to be so you can see his grace more and more. As Paul wraps up in verse 33, He says, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul's heart was always drawing the people of God to the Lord, who is the God of peace. Paul's life was characterized often by the outward earthly struggle, but he was always able to find shelter in the peace that God gives. Are you able to find God's peace this morning? If you're looking for peace this morning, I ask you to look only in one place. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to find it in the world. You're not going to find it in the things of this world. You're not going to find it in people. You will only find lasting peace in Jesus. And as you look to Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace... Keep your eyes fixed on Him. And His peace will guard your heart and will keep you for all eternity in His presence. One final thought. Aren't you amazed we did that many verses this morning first of all? One final thought. If you have your Bibles open, turn to Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is a Psalm of Moses. David didn't write all the psalms. Wrote a lot of them. But Psalm ninety is a wonderful Psalm of Moses. So, getting back to the earlier uh, contrast in John Piper's book, right? How are you spending your life? Like the two elderly ladies who gave up everything to serve Christ somewhere else and then they died in a tragic accident and that really wasn't a tragedy? Or have you settled for far less and just say, hey, I just want to enjoy my time here on the earth and just make it to heaven? And he says, that's the real tragedy. The question is, what are you doing with your life? How are you spending your days in light of eternity? In Psalm 90, verse 12, Moses says this So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. And then at the end of the Psalm, in verse 17, he says, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. You see that? If we follow Paul's example this morning, we see that a life spent for Jesus is not a wasted life. Give some thought to what abilities and desires God has given you to use for His purpose. If you're married, talk it over with your spouse. Think ahead to what life will be like when you're 75 or 80 or even older. Dream for God. Ask God to use your life in ways that you never thought were possible. But when Moses says, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom, there's something to that. When we understand the brevity of life, When we understand the gift of life, when we understand that we number our days, like not just, oh gosh, another day closer to death, but when we truly understand that this life is a gift from God and every day is used or can be used for His glory, and we understand that there's purpose for it and that God can call us into great opportunities with it, then we can present a heart of wisdom to God because that's really living wisely to number our days and then to confirm the work of our hands. Like there are a lot of things that I would like to see accomplished in my life that are far from spiritual. I'd like to pay off my mortgage at some point, right? but I don't want at the end of my life transition into heaven and say the greatest thing that I did was owning my house because it's not coming with me. And so when we consider the opportunities that we have to not just build kingdoms here, but to build God's kingdom here, teach us to number our days, Lord. And confirm for us the work of our hands. Church, don't waste your life. Trust God with it. And he'll do amazing things. Let's pray.